Welcome to Tech Talk, featuring the latest trends and topics in data and analytics for Fortune 1000 companies. Tech Talk is sponsored by Knowledgent, the data and analytics company. For more information, visit Knowledgent.com. Episode 4 of Tech Talk features Pratik Perez de Silva, a senior data and analytics professional, and Tony Pagliazzo, a senior business analyst, discussing agile software development methodology and its applicability to the world of business analysis. To access the infographic referenced in this podcast, please visit knowledgeant.com slash agile BA. So Tony, you know, to start off, how do you view agile and its recent rise in project management and, and project delivery? Well, you know, I think it's funny, you know, recent rise because, you know, iterative or incremental development has been around since the fifties, right? And through the 60s and 70s, and, you know, if you understand um, Ivar Jacobson, you know, the user group and the, and the evolution of, uh, you know, agile process, the agile process movement itself, right, you know, we've gone from, you know, predictive processes to iterative processes to, you know, what eventually became agile adaptive processes, and uh, I think the manifesto was written in 19, uh, 1991, the Agile Manifesto was actually written. And then, you know, moving forward into safe Agile and enterprise agility, I think that there's a lot to add there, but it needs to be used um, appropriately, just as any methodology or, or framework needs to be. So. Okay, so um, could you tell us about, you know, Go into that a little bit appropriately. Where where is it appropriate? Where is it not? Well, you'll always there's always a need for waterfall style delivery, um, and that's particularly in you know highly regulated environments that have uh, you know there's an industry validation expectation that goes along. Pharmaceutical you know drug delivery being you know the first and most basic that comes to mind because anything that has to do with human health, you know, is they're, they're going to follow a rigid process and there's going to be the checks and balances. And some folks have managed to incorporate a lighter weight version of validation within an agile framework, you know, an agile style of delivery throughout the development lifecycle, but, you know, of, of building applications that support, um, drug delivery to market, um, such as, you know, clinical trial applications and, and uh, other reporting applications. But the actual, the overall validation still takes its toll there. And, you know, the, the number of people required to review the workflow process, if there's a failure or if there's a rework that needs to be done that needs to go back sometimes to the very first step of validation, depending upon um depending upon the depth of the, the defect or, or the rework. Um, Agile itself um, best suited for when you kind of put something in front of somebody as soon as you can, right? It's, it's, it's when you look at Agile and then you look at, you know, the user experience type of methodologies that have popped up through the years, um, the goal is to be able to put some type, some product concept in front of an end user to evolve it with End user experience, and that's the goal, right? And that's part of the part of the rub is you get to do this in an iterative 
fashion, whereas in waterfall, your requirements were expected to be done up front. If there was a change in requirements when you were in design or development, you had to go back and, and make some changes. And it's, it's a different, different, different approach. Big value, um, again, when you're trying to put product in front of a user as soon as possible, but still there are caveats there because you have to be very realistic with your estimating approach and you have to be very realistic about what your team and enterprise capabilities are. And uh, that's where a lot of folks fall down. And if you look at some of the purest agile documentation out there, it will actually cite that there's, there is no business analyst in the agile paradigm, which I don't necessarily agree with. Well, Tony, perfect transition. Um, uh, can you talk about the role of a BA in the Agile process from your perspective? Sure. <clears throat> um, when, when you look at the roles that BAs will play in an Agile in an Agile paradigm, it can be product owner, it can be product manager. Um, there is a, you know, there is a still an analysis role that that has to be continued. Right, there's you're not you're not having lay people do all the analysis at the end of the day, right? It's, while agile, you know, the manifesto speaks to individuals and you know innovation over process, um, and you know and and uh, and rigor. Um, at the end of the day, it's still about team, right? And uh, the BA um, can fulfill you know any one of those three roles fairly easily. I mean, the, the, the rub is BAs are not simply order takers, right? They, they actually, they're, they're grounded in their domain. They're grounded in their ability to identify requirements, to help users identify requirements, to document them, to build the business case, to do the analysis and, you know, come back with some level of feasibility associated with, you know, delivering a, a product or an application. So um, there's, there's plenty of room for business analysts even as business analysts. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so how does the role of the BA differ then, you know, in an agile project versus waterfall? Uh, you talked a lot about the requirements gathering process and how that's different, and I imagine a large part of that falls on the BA shoulder. Uh, could you start there and maybe just talk about the, the difference in what a BA does? Sure. It's uh it's it's the collection. You know, Ron Mohan had made some comments, you know, on on uh, some of the bodies of work that are out there, right, about hierarchy of 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 work that needs to be done, right? And when he speaks to um initiation being at the top of the hierarchy or at the at the front of the queue, right, you go from initiation, which is that's big picture requirements and design. And that's that's the exercise that occurs. Then you get into multiple product increments, um, and with each one of them, you know, multiple releases and then subsequently multiple sprints. The the business analyst plays the role of either, you know, me, right, subject matter expert, who's been appointed by some group of business stakeholders to be the proxy for their understanding and approval during the during the project delivery phase, right, um, or the product manager who, um, it's not product owner, the product manager who who will assist in that and you know be one step, one step um, more in detail down the chain. But at the end of the day, 
the the role is still it's the interface between the end user and the development team. And it doesn't mean that you're excluding the development team from having access to the end user, but the, the business analyst role, um, again, it can have different names. It can have different names for the deliverables, different names for the process, but the outputs and the artifacts are, are, are still the same. So, and, and when you look at business analysts, you know, crafting the requirements with the end user or in some cases, you know, as the proxy for the end user, they're still sitting with it is with the architecture and design teams coming up with what's the right approach and they're sitting with the development teams, you know, as products are, are being built and then sitting with them in, in the unit testing process and then managing the overall testing, you know, UAT process. So just different names, different methodologies, same same artifacts, no matter no matter what. Thanks, Tony. And the way you described it, it almost sounds like the BA is more involved um, in Agile than they might be after requirements are done in, uh, in the waterfall approach. Um, let me just shamelessly plug a uh, infographic uh, which details the uh, difference between Agile and waterfall, as Tony just described it. Um, and I think it does a really great job of communicating some of the differences in the process there. No, I, I think one of the biggest... One of, the, one of the most important aspects, right, is, is enterprise readiness to adopt um, the Agile approach. Um, we have a couple of business analysts who I'm going to give them a, them a plug here, right, to put together, um, you know, Agile through the lens of a BA, right? Jasprit Baines, Elsa Dig, Khalid, they put together what it means to be a BA, um, what as Agile is and what it isn't, right? And, and, uh, what the, the approach is, DA roles, and then uh, <clears throat> what the value prop is, right? And that's that's the magic that's the magic um, phrase that everybody's looking for is you know what do you really mean by value proposition? Right? And and when you speak to agile delivering value sooner, it's because you're able to put things in front of the end user quicker. Now if you're on a larger heavy infrastructure based project and there is nothing that exists and it's a brand new platform, you can still follow the agile paradigm, right? But again, it requires everybody involved to understand that you have foundational sprints, you have foundational, you know, iteration zero, if you will, with multiple sprints um, inside that to even create some constructs to allow you to move data from one platform to another or from the back end of one system to a new reporting system. It doesn't just happen overnight. Um, and you can try to manage those in sprints, but what you're going to deliver and what's going to be visible for people to understand and interpret is completely different than I have a nice product, I have, an, I, have an, I have a GUI that I've enabled for the user to actually view their data. I have a GUI that's been enabled that shows workflow. I have a, I have a great reporting system that leverages all that awesome back, back-end work that was done, right? um, along with the, the enterprise um, readiness, it's the enterprise communication that setting the expectations of here's what you're going to get in each one of these phases. Here's what I can show you. Here's what I can't show you. It's awful hard to do a walkthrough, as you know, um, of a physical data model with a, with a business audience, right? You still have to – you can have the conceptual – model conversations and you can have the logical model conversations but when you get down to the details of 
the physical model implementation just works. Most end users go blurry-eyed and just falling asleep in 10 minutes. So how you set the expectations of what, what they should be interpreting is, is critical here. So, and that's a discipline. That's, that's, a, that's a skill. It, it's an art. It's not just a science. It's an art, right? The art of expectation setting. Got it, Tony. And I mean, you've mentioned this a number of times, the iterative approach and, and really, you know, value realization. Um, it sounds like time to value is really one of the key drivers for Agile. Is that correct? Uh, the ability to put, you know, an a iteration one, two, and three product out there much quicker than you might be able to get the entire thing built um, and, and get people to buy in and to make suggest changes that they may not be able to do if they haven't yet seen the product. Uh, do you feel the same way? I, I absolutely do. And it's sprint by sprint. When you look at the value, it's have you, have you defined what the value of the sprint is going to be? And um, it's not that you're just doing all the back-end work and not focusing on the front-end work or any of the, the middle work either, right? You've created a construct that allows people to work in parallel, and the key um, the key is to be able to have the hooks and interfaces defined well enough that you've got 11 work streams out doing work and you're bringing them together at some future point, you know, to conclude to be able to deliver that next visualization of value. It's just not, you know, that the work that goes on in parallel um, and the ability to actually manage that work, it's, it's a lot of overhead um, and it generally takes, you know, a reasonably senior scrum master a project manager to be able to do that. Sure. So, you know, having said that, can you talk about some of the risks uh, to Agile implementation? So what happens if you're not really mature in your Agile capabilities and you try to start sprinting um, right off the bat? Well, if you don't understand um, how to define store, I'm going to start with estimations. Expectations, we discussed the importance of that, but I'm going to start with, I'm going to move into estimation. If you don't understand how to estimate the work, to, the work to be done, you're going to set the wrong expectations right out of the gate, right? It, it takes organizations a fair amount of time to be able to understand what their capabilities are for each team to understand their capabilities, right? Story points have been an estimating concept that have been around for a long time, but if the organization isn't mature enough to actually understand how long it takes to build each different type of service or how long it takes to build certain new components or how long it takes to, you know, leverage whatever new framework that they want to, you're estimating those off the charts and out of whack right away. And um, that is where a lot, that's where a lot of things, folks say, oh, it's okay, we'll make it up in the next, we'll make it up in the next sprint. Well, you, you don't, right? There's, there's a feature list that, that you're trying to accommodate, right, for, for each set of sprints, and once you start falling behind, that's where you look at what's going to move, time or dollars, right? Because, you know, you're, you're either looking at, I'm on an Agile project, I have a fixed amount of dollars, I have to, this is what I've been tasked with delivering. The goal is to, to deliver everything, right? And, and, you know, some folks will say that the 80-20 rule applies, and really that depends on the end users and, you know, what they put in their mission budget and everything. But the goal is to deliver what you promised. If schedule can move and everybody agrees, depending upon what type of project it is, um, then you have a little bit of leeway, but there's still a dollar impact. Even if schedule moves, dollars tend to move as well. So you have to understand um, what the impact of 
not understanding your own capabilities and not being able to estimate properly um, really means. And when you start talking about some of these environments that are heavily laden with um, validation process and validation documentation, um, it can, you, you can be off by months, if not, you know, a year. You're, you're right back to where you started with, a, with an overblown waterfall project in some cases. So. That's interesting. Yeah, a nice and full circle to kind of how the risks parallel those of a waterfall project if you don't do it right. Um, are there any other, you know, buckets that people should, if you're new to Agile, account for um, when you go into it that you may not expect? Um, one example may or may not be um, production defects, right, or, or issues that you have to deal with um, in, in the, the code that you put in, in production or something along those lines? Um, <clears throat> again, that depends on whether 80-20 was acceptable, right? If you're left with a bucket of work that hasn't been completed, is it really needed? And that's where a lot of folks don't understand, even with defining the feature sets, what's, what's optional and what do I really need to go to market with? That's it. And that's, that's been an age-old you know, product delivery question anyway. Um, you know, what, what's going to get me out there? What's going to not? I, I like in Microsoft's approach to, to their releases, and they go through the process, and they have an alpha, and they have a beta. Um, but at the end of the day, they know they're going out there with 10,000 bugs, and it's like, okay, but that's okay. The, the, the majority of users out there can, can live with what we're putting out there, and we're going to come out with you know, multiple releases to correct these things. Depends on platform differences, user base, you know, there's a whole host of things. But, um, that's that's, that's a really great magic. point, Tony. You know, and that, that's why I go back to what's what's your, what's your pressure point? Is it dollars? Is it or is it schedule? You know, time to market is generally you know more critical and you know it's critical in every in every industry, but some more so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, to kind of wrap it up, I'd like to go back to kind of the, the role of the business analyst within Agile. Yep. Um, can you give some kind of closing thoughts, closing remarks on, you know, where they add the most value, what differentiates a BA from um, a tester in the Agile world, and, and kind of just how you uh, see the, the role of the BA as we move forward? Sure. BA as the product owner is the natural fit, right? You're... you're you're the liaison, you're the proxy, you're the mouthpiece, right? You're, you're totally in sync with, um, what the end user community is looking for. And that's just me BA in general. You, you really can't pull that up. Some folks say you can, but I, I tend to believe that that's more of a SMEish BA role than, um, a, a junior BA or a mid-level BA, right? Uh, the mid-level BA, um, you know, their role is different. As well, um, it's still about understanding how to evolve, you know, epics uh, and features, and whittle them down to how do we how do we create the, the right backlog <coughs> uh, necessary to you know to, uh, to to be able to success, successfully deliver. So um, you know, product manager um, is also looking at how do I manage the release roadmap. And how do I help the product owner um, 
remove any obstacles, right? And that means that they're a little deeper down into the what's going on at the development level, what's going on with the designers, um, you know, at, at that level. Um, from a test perspective, the BA is always going to be involved in some aspect of UAT or systems integration testing because they're either going to have – they're going to be responsible for managing, you know, some – managing traceability, and in the UAT cycle, they're going to manage UAT, if not execute UAT with the business users, depending upon what the what the need of the of the enterprise is. So. Same, you know, same same processes, right? I mean, when you look at you know when you look across the board, um, BAs with dom with domain skills, you know, product manager, where do they fit as, as product owner? BA with domain skills is is the guy that's product owner, right? Scrum master is more aligned to a project manager role, right? The junior BA fits in with what's going on at the detailed level of, of you know, of, of traceability, of test scripts, of managing testing, and then working with the, working with the, with the test teams, with the technical teams to, to uh, <clears throat> complete all those activities. And I just, I just want to point out a couple of things to see, right? Um, when you look at back to same, same artifacts, different names, right? Traditional BA responsibilities, you know, the approach itself, um, as a BA, whether it's, whether it's, um, backlog management or planning the workshops or doing retrospectives, those are all elicitation and playback items that are, that, that, that factor into any, into any, um, style of delivery, right? Solicitation and playbacks are, are, are the key activities. You have to expand the garbage in, garbage out. You have to get it right, play it back right so that it can be built properly. Stakeholder analysis, that's the involvement of personas in the agile, in the agile world, right? Communication, again, going back to, you know, workshops, personas and user story grooming sessions, that's all standard, you know, BA creating that, that, that business requirements document and functional specification documents and, you know, backlog management speaks to what did we do against it and how are we going to trace it. And, you know, I, I could get into details upon details about every single step in the delivery process, what they are. When you put them side to side, which I think, and it's just a question of, is the, again, from an agile perspective, is the organization mature enough to be able to do this independently, multiple work streams in iterations, and, and stay on and stay on schedule. You know, value realization again still comes down to what am I going to show after each sprint, right? Whereas in waterfall, you're pretty deep before you've actually displayed something that an end user can can look at and say, oh, that's great. Or, oh no, that's not what I meant at all. Yeah. Tony, thanks. That was a great conclusion, kind of wrapping everything up. <laughs> New infographic that is detailing um, a large amount of information that we covered today at a pretty high level to show the difference between um, the value realization and the different stages of Agile versus Waterfall. And this is a lengthy list of pros and cons, right? We know that. Flexibility. Everybody likes Agile because they perceive it to be more flexible, flexible in a certain fashion, right? And still, there's a rigor, a rigor that's required. There's, there's still doc it doesn't mean agile doesn't mean I don't have to document things, and I think, in, in my opinion, that's one of the biggest issues in the industry. So you've got to be able to trace.
Thank you for tuning in. Remember to subscribe to Tech Talk to receive the latest episodes.